message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalm 23, verse 6. We're going to conclude our series. We've been going through Psalms 23, perhaps the most familiar, not just Psalm, but the most familiar text in all the Bible, maybe equaled by John 3:16. but very few can stand up there. And we've been talking about it and hopefully bringing to light some of the things that, uh, that we kind of just glossed through when, because we are so familiar with it and trying to slow down a little bit. We've taken six weeks to go through this, kind of take it phrase by phrase. And I hope that this last phrase will not just be, okay, here's the conclusion. Here's this last little phrase that we throw on the end. Uh, this morning... Uh, Again, I hope that it's been an encouragement. I hope that it's truly been something that has spoken uh, to your soul because that was the intention. God wants to speak to our hearts, to the very fiber of our beings through this. And uh, we've seen through this, David's writing from a perspective uh, that God is his shepherd. Now, David was a shepherd at times, so he's familiar with the task of taking care of sheep and making sure they were tended to and that their needs were taken care of. So it's a part reflection, but it's also, as we noticed last week, that we get to verse 4 and 5, and there seems to be a kind of a change that we go from this allegory of a shepherd to an allegory of a king, uh, especially we see that in verse 5. And I think that we'll see that in this concluding verse also, that, he, that we have this shepherd, but we also have this king. Last week in the Sunday school lesson, I put for the older ones, I said, okay, which one of those, shepherd or king, makes you feel more intimate? And I think the class, is, if I heard from Bruce correctly, he said, okay, shepherd seems more intimate. You know, which one seems more authoritative? Well, of course, the king. Here's the cool thing. We read Psalms 23, guys, and we have this shepherd king. But we don't have to pick, okay, do I want intimacy or do I want authority? Do I want to have this relationship with somebody who truly is sovereign over all things? Or do I want to really have this personal God? And God doesn't make his choice because he is both, and he's more than that. He is the shepherd king. And this is the relationship that we can have. And, and that's really the spirit of Psalm 23, that we're able to say these things, that we're able to, to have this shepherd king, not in the absence of difficulty, but in the presence of difficulty. If he would have just started... Verse 3, then we would have had still waters, we would have had green pastures, and we would have had this shepherd that just has given us a life that who wouldn't want? Green pastures, still waters, and all this beauty. And yet we get to verse 4 and 5, and where the tone changes, and all of a sudden we have shadows of death and valleys. And we have presence of enemies there in verse 4 and 5, and all of a sudden we're going, okay, wait, I I really want verse 1 through 3. And what David is trying to get us to understand is that God is the same, but we are going to go through seasons of life. Maybe perhaps right now you really are in a still water kind of green pasture kind of way. Uh, and that's where just life is for you. And, and God bless you. Wonderful. We need times of refreshment. We need times when we just see the beauty of God's provision. But perhaps today you really are going through some of those times where it really is the valley of the shadow. Maybe there really is the presence of enemies and catastrophe in your life. And it's a daily thing that you're having to combat with. And the promise is the same. The promise is that no matter what situation you find yourself in, that God is this shepherd king. We come to this last place and we begin to see 
uh, David kind of wrap it up, but not just with a little tag at the end. Listen to this, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, how many of y'all have heard that? You kind of, in a way, it really is kind of a tag of this beautiful song. And in a way that we kind of just conclude with that. I mean, honestly, how many of us, when we're reading the 23rd Psalm, or maybe reciting the 23rd Psalm, we get to that last verse, and it really is kind of just this nice little conclusion. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's not that we're making light of that, and we're certainly not trying to be disrespectful of that, but, but do you feel the impact of the conclusion that David puts upon this psalm? You see, Psalm 23 is, this is a crescendo, guys. This isn't a tagline. This isn't just kind of, you know, and they lived happily ever after. That's for fairy tales. And David isn't just kind of putting this little tagline that he would put at the end of any psalm. This is the crescendo of the whole thing. Because he doesn't tell us what happens next. We've had green valleys. I mean, we've had green pastures, we've had still waters, we've, we've had valleys of shadow, we've had the presence of enemies in us. What happens next? Have you ever been to a movie and you can kind of tell that they're already marketing the next movie? Like in the last five minutes, they just kind of conclude. Uh, we went to go see the latest version of the Jurassic Park one and uh, we're watching it and, and Carly's coming with us. Well, you can only have so much of dinosaurs. You know, okay, we've done the dinosaur thing now for four or five times. But we both made this remark at the very last, the last five minutes. Well, they just opened the door for the next one. You know, there will be a number five or number six, whatever they're on, because of the way that they left it. In a way, you might say, okay, David, have you just left us? We don't know when David wrote this, when he was young, when he was old, when he was already this king. We don't know if it's in the pursuit when, when his son is really going for his very life. We're thinking that's when it came. Here's the bottom line. In verse 6, David covers the whole rest of his existence. He makes a statement not just to sound really spiritual and holy. David says, here's the assurance that I have. Why? Because I know what the path ahead is. No, I know my God. See, here's our difficulty, guys. We, we kind of have the ups and downs because we're going, okay, I don't know if it's green pastures ahead. I don't know if I have valleys. I don't know if I have the presence of my enemies. We're looking kind of out here on the road before us, and that's going to be kind of that indication of uh, are things good or bad. And David is able to say, and I think he says this with all conviction, and surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Now, why can he say that? Because he said, I've already experienced it. There was never a time I've been out of the sight of God and there will never be a time that I'm out of the sight of God. He said, I make this conclusive statement, not knowing what's ahead. I don't know what's a month down the road. I don't know what's six months down the road. I don't know if I'm even going to be here, you know, 10 years from now if I still have breath in my lungs. But David does say, I know this. (laughs) Surely, Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. One of the parts of spiritual maturity is that sometimes that we uh, come upon those times that we didn't recognize it when it happened, but two months later, two years later, sometimes 20 years later, we're going, wow, God, His goodness and His mercy, man, sure did cover me. I didn't even know it. Didn't even know Him. Remember the story of Hank Freeman just a couple weeks ago? 
and how he, he said, you know, he looks back on his life now. And he says, I saw where God was preserving my life through physical harm, through this kind of harm, through this, that, and the other. And he says, I look back and I see all the time God's hand of mercy and grace was upon me. That is what David is saying. What's the first word of that verse? The Hebrew there is equivalent to what we see. The New Testament is going to be in Greek, okay? But the word is equivalent to what we see in the Greek that Jesus used. Remember, if you're King James people, verily, verily. What's the modern translation of that? Truly, truly. And if we get to a really contemporary version, he says, Jesus is translated, I tell you the truth. So whether you learned it verily, verily, whether you learned in kind of a, a mid-modern translation, truly, truly, or you have, you know, something like the ESV or something like that, more of a modern translation, and it says, I tell you the truth. It's all the same Greek word. And this is what's used here. It's in the Hebrew, but it's the equivalent of it. David is saying, verily, verily, truly, truly, I tell you the truth. And he says it out of great conviction. Not out of just of a hope but out of conviction. He is certain of it. He's not keeping his fingers crossed. Do you think you can be a person of faith, a person that truly follows after Jesus Christ, and yet still have the mentality of cross fingers? I think so. I don't think, I'm not suggesting it. I'm just saying, I think sometimes in life, because of our humanity, guys, because we are just fearful folks sometimes, and not fearful in the right sense of before a holy God, but just fearful of man. I don't know if it's going to be dark shadows. I don't know if it's going to be valleys. I don't know if it's going to be the presence of enemies. I don't know. I'm hoping it's going to be green pastures. But we don't know. And so even sometimes as people of faith, we we kind of have this, okay, God, I'm just hoping that everything's going to turn out okay. This is not finger-crossing hoping. This is, I know who my God is no matter if it is, green pastures are valleys of shadows. I know, surely, truly, truly, verily, verily, I tell you the truth, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I may not be able to see it. It may have to be in the rearview mirror. It may have to be a story that I tell my grandchildren one day, hey, it took me 25 years to see the kindness of Christ and the kindness of God in that moment. But when I was 14 years old, when I was 23 years old, when I was 38 years old, this is what God did. And now that I look back as a 60-year-old, a 70-year-old, an 80-year-old, I tell you, my grandchild, surely God's goodness and mercy was with me and was with me every day of my life. So he, he kind of does all that. And folks, one day we're going to look back. And we're going to find out that some of those days that we felt all alone, some of those days that we really feel almost maybe abandoned, that we were frightened, were the days that God's goodness and His mercy truly did follow us there. And that we can tell of that story 12 years later, 20 years later, was the very evidence that God's grace and His mercy was there. But then there's a second part of this. God continues that we begin to see that uh, uh, he goes on to that last phrase. He starts to talk about, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He covers the whole rest of his existence. 
that part of his life that he's not even lived yet, he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when we think about that, what's the first thing that comes to your mind as you would paint this picture? Okay, I heard some people, you know, didn't hear anybody shout at heaven, but, you know, kind of, it, that's the right thing. So you can see it, say it with authority and you can say it with conviction. Most of us, when we start, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, we start thinking of heaven. This is a good thought. This is a good thing. And I truly believe that this is what David has in mind when he's saying this, that he's looking past and he's already kind of saying, okay, I know that truly God's goodness and mercy is going to be with me every single day. And I know that the ultimate end of this is that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But I want to spend some time on this word dwell. I shall dwell. To dwell means to live. There's a sense of permanence in this. The Bible also often talks about you and I in this world, and it uses words uh, that we don't use in everyday life. How many of you used last week in your verbiage at any point in time the word sojourner? You know, you were just talking and you're going, well, guys, you know, we're just a sojourner on this river because we're going to be just traveling through the river and then we're going to be going home. We're just sojourners through Tennessee because we will be going back to Georgia. I, I promise you that none of us used that word last week. And yet the biblical concept that we see from Genesis to Revelation, guys, from Genesis to Revelation in this uh, narrative of the Bible is that you and I as Christians are sojourners in this world. We talked a little bit about it in our Sunday school class this morning and said, you know, but this is the only thing we've ever experienced. So this it feels like home. Does this feel like home? I mean, at least, you know, planet Earth because we don't have too many other experiences to, to really compel us to think differently. And yet the Bible sets our mind in an eternal perspective, and it says, no, you're, you're just a traveling through. You're a sojourner. The idea is that David is comparing this life to the life that's coming forth in heaven. He sees this one is quite brief, and he sees the other one being forever and ever. And we can use every, every illustration, even use the biblical ones, that this life is but one grain of sand on the seashores of life. And we say that, but do we really even have a concept of that? I mean, go take a grain of sand and then kind of get in a place where you would be able to see somehow, as far as I could see, sand and beaches and, and shoreline. And even then, it does not start to compare with the reality of what eternity is. Now, God doesn't hold that against us. Just because you're, it's inconceivable to understand the, the, width, the, the width and the depth of, of eternity doesn't mean that God you know, kind of counts that against us. Now, he, but he has put in the heart of man, the Bible says that he's put into the heart of man the sense of eternity. And so we have a concept, we have a longing. And here David says, here's the surety that I have that I will dwell. Dwelling is a different thing than going to heaven. A lot of times we'll say, well, I'm going to go to heaven. Well, Mamaw, she went, she went to heaven. That's good. Please don't hear anything disrespectful. Please don't hear anything bad about that. But folks, we don't just don't go to heaven. We dwell with God. There is a huge difference between going to heaven and dwelling with the Almighty. 
And the biblical narrative that we see from beginning to end is not that, okay, one day you're going to die, and if you played your cards right, you're going to go to heaven. That's the, the kind of this human concept that we have. Number one, it's all about Christ, and it's not about if you played your cards right. The other thing that we miss here is that we miss the intimacy of what heaven is. I'm not saying that we don't think about it. Some, I'm not saying that it's something that's void of our concept. But a lot of times we'll just say, yeah, went to heaven, gone to heaven. And yet everything that we see in the Bible, David captures it well here. When he says, okay, you're going to dwell with God. There's an intimacy here as opposed to escapism. So oftentimes in our human mind, because of the frustration and the heaviness of this world, see if we don't sometimes refer to heaven as a place of escape instead of a place of intimacy. I'm not saying that we would not realize that there's intimacy there. That's like, man, I just can't wait to heaven. And I'm not going to have this problem anymore. And I'm not going to have to deal with her. I'm not going to have to deal with, you know. And, and, and heaven is this escape. Is there a part of the biblical narrative that would tell us that? Yes. In Revelation 21, we do hear a little bit of a no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. There is a little bit of escape, but that is not the heavy pronouncement of what heaven is. It is a land of no mores, but folks, heaven is a place of more. And the invitation here, when he says, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, He's speaking intimacy. David's not saying, and one day when I die here, after all this goodness and mercy, then I'm going to go to heaven. He said, I'm going to dwell with God. I'm going to dwell with God. I don't get to go to heaven. I get God. This is the hope of the nations. This is the hope of, of our salvation. This is the hope of what, this is why Christ went to the cross. Not so that we would escape earth but that we would get God. And guys, I, I'm telling you, there's just a big difference between those two. And you can live out your spiritual life, and I can live out my spiritual life in one of those two veins. I can live out the rest of my spiritual life waiting for an escape from this world to get heaven. Or I can live out the balance of my life longing for total intimacy with this holy, sovereign, shepherd king. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's kind of what Paul meant. It's not a direct parallel. Uh, Remember, always keep the the word of God in context. Read about what it said before, afterwards. But it is very similar to what Paul says to us when he was making the phrase to 2 Corinthians when he's writing them and he said, to be absent from the body is to be what? To be present with the Lord. He just said to be absent from the body is to be escaping from all of your earthly problems. He said, here's the invitation. Man, to be absent from this body. I'm present with the Lord. There's intimacy there. And do you know that that we have been commanded? This is what we were looking at in Sunday school this morning. We're commanded as Christians. Not suggested. We are commanded to think upon these things. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Listen to what Paul commands us to do. He's not saying, hey, you know, this would be really wise if you thought this way more often. No, there's a command in here. If then you have been raised with Christ. So this is a command to who? To Christians, to the, to the, 
to the church, to the body of believers. Okay? If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. Verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. He's commanding us, okay? I command you as Christians, this is where you put your mind. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And yet the reality, we talked about the struggle with that in Sunday school this morning. We're going, but we're raising kids. We're paying mortgages. We're doing this and the other. You know, how do you really live this command out when you have all the trappings of the responsibilities of this world begging for your mind in every synapse every single day? Have you ever think that you've lost your last synapse? You know what a synapse is, you know, a thought. Yeah. I promise you, there's the days you're going, I don't have one left. I do not have one left. They're all taken. And yet God commands us, not suggests, he commands us. You think of things. Now, why does he do that? Because he wants us to have this eternal perspective. This is not escapism of the harshness of this world. This is keeping eternal focus. Going back to Hank Freeman a couple weeks ago, and I'll conclude with this couple verses. I've heard his story several times, and one part that he didn't bring out as much this last time, because I said, well, you know, that's really interesting when you share about daily life in the concentration camp, and I know everyone wants to hear that. And he schooled me. He said, I know, and that's interesting, people want to hear that, but I want to talk about Jesus and what God's done in my life. And I go, okay. (laughs) I felt like this big. But one of the parts that he did share is that the way that they made it through the concentration camp day after day, you know, he talked about his journal, and he had a copy of that. And if if you were able to come up here and look through some of that, you saw that many of the pages were filled with uh, foods, and foods from ticker places, you know, the apple pie from Sherry's Diner, you know, different things. And what happened is as they would go through the day and they're starving, you know, he's down to 110 pounds. And they would get through the day of thinking, not escape and just having freedom. Certainly they thought of that, but they thought of what was at home. And so it wasn't just apple pie, but it was apple pies at Sherry's Diner. And it was mom's potato salad. Do you see the difference there? One is, okay, I just hope I get out of this place. That's escapism. And who cannot blame somebody who's in a concentration camp to say, I hope I have freedom again one day. And yet what kept them going is a dwelling in their mind and their heart of thinking of home. Man, I want some of Grandma's buttered biscuits. And I realize it's almost lunchtime, so I'll stop that right there, okay? There's a difference between escaping the harshness of this world and dwelling with this God. The King James, I'm very respectful of the King James. Grew up on the King James. Um, It kind of mistranslated. It takes a, a, a Greek word and kind of takes a liberty that I don't know that we really should take. And John, when it talks about... Uh, Jesus has just told his disciples that he's going to be crucified and uh, he's going to, and they're freaking out. 
And in John chapter 14, these familiar verses, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Okay, The, the Greek word, and, and, and see, we said mansions automatically, is really kind of a misnomer there. Okay, I'm not saying that King James, all those guys were drastically wrong. The better translation, and you'll find it in some of the modern ones, in my Father's house are many rooms. Now, what's the difference? What's the difference? Am I just playing with words? No. Because this is the ESV right here, one of my favorite ones. This is truer to the sense of the context. How many of us have kidded before? Man, I don't care where I live in heaven as long as I... Man, I know I'm not going to be on that street with Billy Graham. He's going to have a mansion right there beside, you know, the Father's house. I just, I just hope my zip code is closed. And I get that. I get that. Dear friend, in my father's house are many rooms. The dwelling place with God. Now, we're not down the street. We're not on Elm Street hoping that we were up there on Oak Street. Because of Christ Jesus, we are the sons and the daughters of the living God and we don't live in another zip code and we're just happy that we're there because it was better than the alternative. That's escapism. The fact that we get to live in the room in the mansion of God, in the Father's house, that's intimacy. And David, even before he knows about this Christ, a thousand years before Christ even comes, he's already, God has testified to his heart, and I will dwell, I will have intimacy with the Father forever and ever. I'm not just going to have a place in heaven and escape the tragedy of this world. I'm going to dwell with the Father. That's intimacy. Well, Bobby, are you sure that's a right, correct kind of interpretation of that? Revelation 21.3, and then we close. By the word, Father's house, that word for a house in the Greek, abide, means to dwell with. Uh, literally, the, the word rooms, the, uh, the act of staying or residing. Okay, and so everything about these words, as you research those words, how they're used, is one of intimacy and not just one of, okay, yeah, I stayed there. The last one. Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the what? The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Guys, it's, I don't make light of going to heaven got too many friends and family members that I pray are there. But, but I promise you that the testimony that they would give to you right now and that they would give to me right now is I just didn't go to heaven. I got God. I got God. And he dwells with me and I dwell with him. And there's a difference. One is habitation and one is intimacy. One is, still has this kind of thing, okay, we're just hanging out here. The other one is there is direct relationship and intimacy with the creator God who's the authority over all things, this sovereign, holy, holy, holy God. He says, come. Oh, can I live down the street? 
I can have a view of the kingdom. No, he says, no, I've got a room prepared for you right here in my house. This is the hope that David has. And this is the hope that we can have. This is what happens when you have a shepherd king taking care of you. Because there's still valleys. There's still enemies. But the king, the shepherd, he knows his job. And so he says, truly, truly, verily, verily, I tell you the truth. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, even when I didn't notice it. And it takes me 15 years for the light of Christ to shine on that moment in time, and I recognize it. So I can know that going back, God is there. Going forward, I get God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, we thank you that we just don't go to heaven. Father, we dwell with you, holy God. Father, will you tell, in our little feeble minds, Father, will you show us the, the significance of that? We're not trying to play with words, Father. We just want to know the depth and the majesty of, of what you've recorded for us so that we would be encouraged. And, Father, I, can, I confess that most of my thoughts of heaven are escapism, Father, of getting out of the tragedies, the heaviness, the struggles, the, just the, the frustration of this world, Father. Probably 90% of my thoughts of this place that you prepared, Father, is escapism. Father, will you change my mind? Will you help me to do what you've instructed and commanded us to do in Colossians? That I would set my thing, my mind, my heart on the things above of Christ Jesus. So, Father, train me to think more and more of your presence, of the intimacy. That, Father, that I will dwell with you and you will dwell with me and you will call us your people. And you will be our God. We love you and we think until that day, Father, you, you keep us aware of your mercy, this amazing grace, and longing in the surety that one day we get you. We love you and thank you as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.